Hello all, I'm Jenny Jones and this is the very first podcast in my series Jen's Green Jam. For those who don't know me, I'm a Green Party peer in the House of Lords who is interested in promoting a dialogue based around the Green perspective on various, well, all sorts of issues in British politics. And so each time I'll bring on a guest to dissect a relevant issue that's important to me or to the Green Party and then um, you can uh, make up your own minds about how you feel about the issue. Now this week we're dealing with a national health crisis in the making, air pollution. And with me to explain the problem and what we can do about it is the person who has fought incredibly hard to put it on the public and political agenda, Simon Burkett. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Jenny. Thank you very much for inviting me in today. Simon, can you just um, do a very brief introduction of yourself and exactly what your organisation seeks to achieve? So I'm Simon Burkett, founder and director of Clean Air in London, which has a mission to achieve full compliance with the World Health Organisation guidelines for air quality throughout London and elsewhere. Uh, and I wear a couple of other hats. I chair the Knightsbridge Neighbourhood Forum, which is producing the first neighbourhood plan for central London, and I sit on the UN steering group for its five-yearly report on the environment called the Global Environment Outlook, which is due to report in, in 2019. So it's very much London and up, as it were. My website uh, that I use for Clean Air London is cleanair.london. My Twitter username is at London and Facebook forward slash Clean Air London. But thank you very much for, for meeting me today. Can you just tell us what the problem is? Why is air pollution actually a problem? I mean, we all know pollution is a problem, uh, but why air pollution? Well, it's important to look back at history a bit, give us a bit of context, because in December 1952, we had the Great Smog, uh, and that killed something like 4,000 people. And they were able to count the coffins, and people were worried about the respiratory effects from short-term exposure to visible air pollution from coal and wood burning. And there was a new Clean Air Act brought in. Actually, the first one was brought in by the City of London in 1954, just for their square mile. And the National Clean Air Act came in on the 5th of July, 1956. And that dealt with that problem that we had during the Great Smog. It was a fantastic achievement. It really showed you identify a big problem, you do something about it, and a few years later the problem disappears. So now we have a different sort of air pollution. We most definitely do. And it was not, it, it took a long time to identify the fact that we have a different problem. Still air pollution, very much air pollution. But it was scientists in the US who identified in the mid-1990s by following large groups of people in different cities with different pollution levels that actually long-term exposure to invisible air pollution kills as many people or more people than these short-term episodes that we saw in 1952. So you're saying this pollution is actually invisible because quite often we can see a sort of dirty haze over London. Is, is, it, is that the pollution you're talking about? We need to worry about the day-to-day -day pollution and these big smog episodes or air pollution episodes. But we only get air pollution episodes maybe 30 days a year, maybe only a, a dozen episodes of a few days each, 30 days a year, let's say. Uh, but the rest of the time, just the day in, day out, um, fine particles that we cannot see are causing a lot of cardiovascular disease, heart attacks and strokes. Uh, and air pollution, this invisible air pollution, does affect everyone to some extent or another. 
Now, I, I understand that it affects children very badly as well. Can you describe some of the health impacts for children? Well, um, if, if you're a child growing up uh, near a busy road, uh, it could affect your um, lung function. And of course, it, as you're growing up, if your lung function is retarded, slowed down, uh, then you don't get that back later in life. So it's a permanent disability that you, or disadvantage that you carry with you uh, if you've been exposed to that problem. So you're saying that children will have stunted development, stunted lung, lung development, which means they will have problems later? Reduced, I would say, yeah. So um, uh, it's quite complicated how the scientists calculate it and things. Uh, but they will have less um, lung capacity, less lung ability, uh, less lung power uh, than somebody who has grown up in fresh air in the countryside. And, and so that is a legacy that they will take with them through life. Um, they may not notice in their 20s, but maybe by the time they're 30, they might start noticing. They, if, if they've been exposed to a lot of pollution, they probably won't be an Olympic athlete and so on. So um, that is the sort of thing for older people um, these big air pollution episodes that you've mentioned can cause heart attacks and strokes. We typically get that, um, uh, you know, we can see that now. There were several hundred people through one of your information requests. We discovered that several hundred people died early during one of the big smog episodes, air pollution episodes, uh, two or three years ago. But it, air pollution, the real message is that air pollution does affect everyone to some extent or another. And what I can promise you, I can't say exactly how, but what I can promise you is we dealt with this respiratory problem from visible coal and wood burning um, over 60 years ago with the Clean Air Act then. We can try and deal with the visible pollution now and the risk of um, heart attacks and strokes. But, but I can promise you that in 10 years' time, there will be other problems to do with air pollution that we don't know about today that will be worrying us. And there are signs of that. For example, reduced cognitive function in children. So in more polluted places or more polluted days, children have uh, their school performance is reduced. Um, we will see genetic effects, I can be pretty sure of that. So there'll be a whole lot of things that will be identified in 10 years' time that we haven't thought of today. So the real message is we have to tackle air pollution and get rid of it and get rid of it at its source. Well, what exactly is its source? Because you've talked about invisible pollution. Um, where is it all coming from? Well, that's a, a really great question um, because we need to think about air as one thing. Um, one of the big mistakes is to sort of think, well, you know, we can just think about carbon dioxide as a climate problem and we'll think about other things as a local air pollution problem. But we need to think of air as one uh, big issue. So we have greenhouse gases, which are carbon dioxide and, and, and other gases like that. And then we have local air pollution. And local air pollution is really of two types. There are particles which are regulated as a lump, so this is the sort of PM 2.5, PM 10. Is this soot? I've often described it as soot when I'm talking about it. it. it it's I... like soot, yeah. I mean, but these particles, when I say PM 2.5 or PM 10, it's called particulate matter up to two and a half microns, which is a millionth of a metre you know, in diameter, or 10 mil uh, microns in, in diameter. These are a fortieth of the thickness of a human hair, so they are truly invisible. Uh, so the particles are regulated as a lump in local air pollution, um, so for health and legal purposes, and they can be made up of anything. It can be soot, exactly as you say, but it can be construction dust, it can be coming from uh, tire and brake wear, all sorts of um, horrible things. 
The other bit of local air pollution is the, are the gases. And we've dealt with things like carbon monoxide pretty much in, in outside air. We've dealt with sulfur dioxide pretty much in outside air by fitting things to, you know, bits of kit to power stations. But the, the, the gas in local air pollution that is really worrying us um, uh, uh, still is nitrogen dioxide. So it's not nitrous oxide, which is um, what Boris used to refer to, which is laughing gas. I uh, used to say that laughing gas had gone down in his time in office, which I guess it probably had. Yes. Um, certainly a lot less laughing. Um, but um, uh, you know, air pollution is about greenhouse gases, local air pollution, particles, and these gases. And nitrogen dioxide is causing all sorts of problems um, for the government because it is very easy to measure. Um, it's a good signal or good indicator of combustion pollution from diesel vehicles in particular, but also gas heating and cooking. Uh, and fortunately, the legal limit currently for nitrogen dioxide is the same as the World Health Organization guideline. Now, what does nitrogen dioxide actually do to us? What damage can it do to us? Well, it's, the first thing is it's, it is just, it is the gas, really, in that whole cloud of gas, which is actually regulated. So we shouldn't just worry about it. We know that there will be other things present when it is present. Uh, but nitrogen dioxide itself uh, can irritate the respiratory system. It has been shown to um, you know, be linked to heart attacks and strokes also. Um, so it is nasty in its own right. It is a toxic gas. Um, but it is just one of a cocktail of, of local gases that we will get at a local air pollution um, we, in a, a stage. But, but because we can measure it, uh, if, if we know it's there, we know that there are other things as well that can cause real problems. Most definitely, yeah. Now, you mentioned um, Boris Johnson, and when I was on the London <laughs> Assembly, of course, we clashed, he and I clashed quite a lot about this. Um, he used to say that pollution was blowing in from Europe and from other places, but you're talking about local air pollution. So can you describe um, where he got that wrong or, or where he got it right even? Uh, well, he, he got most things wrong, as, as you know, as well I as do. I do. Yeah. I do. Um, but um, uh, the UK um, is, the prevailing wind for the UK is a southwesterly, so it's coming in off the Atlantic, so we get clean air, and that clean air picks up a whole lot of UK pollution and usually dumps it on, the con on continental Europe. For about 35 days a year, the, which is really what often triggers these episodes, for about 35 days a year, um, we get um, a high-pressure system off the southeast of London, which, with its clockwise winds um, and typically very slow winds, drags stuff back off the continent, a lot of which we've dumped on them, comes back towards us. So, um, uh, you know, yes, you can sort of say, well, it's you know, coming from the continent for, for those things, but actually for 330 days a year, we're dumping it over there. So and 11 months of the year, we're the big polluters, and then we get payback for a month. We, we do, and of course, you know, um, continental European countries also produce lots of pollution, so we get theirs as well as ours back on ourselves. We've talked about the health disbenefits and the toxicity of the air. One of the things that I noticed in particular was that it, it, it affects poorer people more for all sorts of reasons, because they quite often live near roads, they don't have gardens, they don't get out to their country houses at the weekend and so on. Um, do you have any details about that? Uh, yeah, the, there's, there's plenty of evidence um, that that's the case. Um, 
Uh, there are some st um, government statistics on it um, where they've done studies. Um, um, uh, I, I don't want to quote a number, but, but there is lots of evidence that um, poorer people um, will be more exposed in general to air pollution. And, and that's because um, typically in cities, um, as, as you were um, alluding to, they live along busy roads, and busy roads are responsible for about 80% of the legal breaches of the nitrogen dioxide laws in this country, which is really from diesel fumes. Now, you've, um, you've done most of your work here in London. Um, can you tell us, do, do you think you can extrapolate this to the whole of the UK? Do you think that the rest of the UK has the same sort of problem as London at the moment? Um, the whole world has got a problem with air pollution. Uh, we see a big problem with particle air pollution uh, in China, India and Eastern Europe, which is mainly coal. Uh, in Western Europe, it's uh, mainly um, traffic pollution, but a whole lot of other sources, construction, dust, tar and brake wear, many different things. Uh, so there is a global air pollution problem, irrespective of the greenhouse gas problem, the climate change uh, problem that, that we're facing. Um, so uh, this is a um, big issue, but the vision that Clean Air in London had when um, I set it up in 2006 uh, was first of all a health mission, so to achieve, um, the mission is to achieve full compliance with World Health Organization guidelines for air quality throughout London and elsewhere. Uh, and the second thing, if I can just describe, um, um, uh, um, create an image of a sort of two by two table, um, if you think of the, the, the two columns that um, as being oh, sort that of, sort of table. Uh, All right, yes. <laughs> yeah, rather than this table. Yeah. Um, uh, if you think of the two columns being local air pollution on the left and greenhouse gases or sustainability on the right, and if you think of the two rows in this table as being London and then rest of world, so London at the top row and then rest of world below it. To me, this is the vision going back to 2006. The climate change um, experts who are talking and demanding action by 2020, 2030, 2050 remind me of generals um, sitting in a chateau 20 miles behind the front lines in the First World War saying we'll invade France or Germany depending on which side of the, the front lines they were on. Um, and you know, that is how really general and, and really frankly pretty vague and also quite challenging and difficult it is. Whereas that top left box, London local air pollution, um, the legal breaches, the World Health Organization guidelines, are being breached by two or three times near our busiest roads. Now, if we cannot mobilize um, our political leadership, technology, lifestyle change to crack the problems in that top left box, local air pollution in London, probably the only megacity in Europe, then we will never tackle the, the climate problems. But conversely, sorry to interrupt there just to finish the point, conversely, if we crack that top left box in the only megacity in Europe, we can show the whole world how to tackle air pollution everywhere. Uh, and we're already seeing that with other cities trying to compete with us like Paris and um, you know, UK cities as well. So if London gets it right, we can show the world how to, to do it right? There's no doubt about that, it's happening. Um, now we've got everybody really worried about air pollution and the impact on their health and, and the impact worldwide, would you like to come up with some of the solutions, some of the ways that we can actually make it better for ourselves 
and also as individuals and also nationally? Well, the, the most important message in terms of solutions is we must see this as an opportunity. This is an opportunity to re-engineer our cities in a really positive, exciting way. Yeah? This is not about sort of being buried in problems and worrying about everything all the time. We need to be in a very positive frame of mind, re-engineering our cities and doing something very special. And of course, that's exactly what we did um, uh, in 1956 with the first Clean Air Act. Uh, all of a sudden, people could see blue sky and, and things. Um, uh, so the first thing is it is an opportunity and we must um, uh, treat it like that. Uh, the other way I look at it um, is to, to sort of imagine a sort of seesaw in a way, which is sort of hammering down on one side of the seesaw the problems and hammering up or pushing up on the positive things on the other side of the seesaw. You know, that sort of tipping point sort of image. And the problems are really about all air, air pollution at its source. So that's vehicle emissions, sort of tail, um, you know, exhaust emissions, but also tire and brake wear. Um, uh, it's also, importantly, things like farming emissions. There are huge problems, something like a, a, a fifth or a quarter even of the particles over London, the fine particles, actually come from farming emissions. So they're blowing in from the West Country? I'm afraid so, yeah. yeah. And, and, of course, off the continent when we get winds which, which come from there. So farming emissions are a very big problem for the particles. So we need to tackle a whole range of um, uh, those, those problems. And then on the other side, pushing up the good things, um, we need to be uh, encouraging walking, cycling, um, use of public transport, um, working from home when people can work at home. So really just you know, doing a lot of good things um, and hammering down on the bad things. Now you mentioned the Clean Air Act that we had in 1956, but uh, we are now, um, thanks to you, we are now actually going to have a new Clean Air Act. Would you like to say a bit about that? Well, thanks to you, I think, um, uh, um, as much as thanks um, uh, to Clean Air in London. Um, uh, there is a big need for a new Clean Air Act. So Clean Air in London has been campaigning for one since 2011 when DEFRA first tried to um, uh, you know, get rid of the Clean Air Act under the coalition government um, uh, or weaken it um, through with their red tape challenge. So we were defending it and calling for a new Clean Air Act to update um, uh, legislation for modern fuels and technologies and so on. So we definitely need a Clean Air Act. We've needed it for a long time and I'll give you just one example of the sort of weaknesses or loopholes in the, the current legislation. Uh, you're not allowed to distribute uh, wood or coal into smoke control areas, which was set up after the, the Clean Air Act in 1956 by local authorities. But guess what? Garages and supermarkets sell wood, which you pick up, take home, and you distribute it to your home. You put it in your Wandsworth, um, uh, very lovely-looking fireplace, burn wood illegally, typically on Friday night or, or Saturday night. Uh, and that is a huge problem. I mean, Kings have identified this as being maybe 10, 20, even more percent. That's Kings Hospital, um, and they've done uh, a lot uh, of... Kings College London, oh, yeah, right. the university team, yeah, um, led by Professor Frank Kelly. And they've identified it because they can pick up the signature of, of wood burning in the air. So and so actually you would think that the weekends would be cleaner air because there's less traffic movement so. generally, but in fact... 
people are burning wood stoves. Yeah, still, and it's um, and it's not just you know, stoves are actually you're you're permitted to burn wood in certain circumstances in permitted stoves, um, uh, but actually this is people burning wood illegally in open log fireplaces in smoke control areas where it's been banned since probably about 1956. So that's. That is the sort of loophole that we need to fix um, in, with a new Clean Air Act. There are two other things um, uh, which I, I would cite. The first is we must enshrine a right to clean air in UK law. To make it a human right. Exactly. Um, and the Clean Air Act that you and I have worked on very closely, actually the first line of it is about clean air, um, uh, you know, enshrining a right to clean air, and the, the second line is amending the Human Rights Act accordingly. Oh. Uh, and that is what we need, because what it would do in the same way the Human Rights Act has done a great deal to protect people, um, uh, you know, every bit of government must all the time think about its um, obligations to, um, to protect human rights. It would, it would force the government and different bits of government in the same way to consider clean air as part of all of its decisions. Now, a Labour MP, Garant Davis, is actually bringing a clean air bill through the Commons at the moment, but it's not the same as the one that we're putting through, planning to put through the Lords. So how does his bill differ? Well, what's really exciting about this is that um, uh, uh, his bill is a very good bottom-up bill. So it really focuses um, cleverly on solutions. Practical and, measures. Um, you know, um, specific measures, yeah, very practical measures, yes, um, but focusing on specific solutions to specific problems. For example, sort of, um, um, you know, I don't know, um, uh, onshore power, you know, for ships docking in the Thames, for example, things like that. Instead of burning their diesel engines and polluting it, locally. Yeah, exactly, and, and causing terrible problems for, for people who are living round Enderby Wharf, for example, if, if this um, goes ahead without onshore power. But what, what is really, I think, so brilliant about what we're doing is that it is entirely complementary um, with um, his work. So we are coming up with a sort of top-down approach, which is enshrining a right to clean air in UK law, amending the Human Rights Act accordingly, uh, and uh, underpinning it um, or enforcing it uh, with a Citizens Commission for Clean Air, which actually will be able to hold the government to account. Because what we've completely you know, failed to see so far is proper government action by any government, frankly, um, to address um, clean air. Client Earth has won three times in the court and still the government delays and delays. Um, just, uh, I've got two final questions. The first is, you've talked about various things people can do for themselves. Um, uh, the sort of advice we get is to stay away from main roads. Now, personally, I think we should be giving advice to people who drive diesel cars and say, stop driving your diesel car, stop taking your children to school in your diesel vehicle and so on. Um, just walk more, cycle more, and as you said, you know, get on the buses. Um, are things like masks any good? I'm assuming with PM 2.5, they're too, too fine, so masks won't help at all. Well, and of course, it's the particles which are even smaller than that, who, which are literally sort of um, uh, microscopic. 
Um, so you're right, we need to be, to tackle this problem, we need to get rid of all air pollution at its source. And we must talk about building emissions, um, because if we don't move to all electric buildings powered by renewable energy, we will never achieve our air pollution or climate objectives. So um, that, is, that is very important. But the, the best advice for people, apart from reducing the problem, um, is um, uh, you know, protecting themselves to the extent they can. So we do need to worry about indoor air pollution. So um, gas um, cooking, for example, um, you know, can be a huge source of air pollution inside houses. Um, in the street, um, it is better, if you can, to walk down a side street um, rather than a red route. Um, uh, I appreciate it's not possible all the time, particularly if you're lost in a, an area you're not familiar with. But actually, you know, walking down side streets, you will reduce the pollution you're exposed to you know, by 50%, so by, you'll halve it. So there are those opportunities, and that's important. But during these sort of, let's say, 30 days a year when we've got you know, um, these air pollution episodes, it's important to watch out for the warnings uh, and take and the you have those on your site. Um, uh, we do it. We do the best we can to warn people when there's an episode. We can normally see it a few days ahead. How do people find your site? Uh, Clean Air in London's site is cleanair.london. Uh, on Twitter, um, the hashtag or the um, username is at cleanairlondon, uh, and we're also on Facebook at um, facebook forward slash cleanairlondon, uh, and it's it's a very powerful way through social media of, of, of reaching people. So Do you have hasht a hashtag as well? Um, we, we tend to use the hashtags of hashtag air pollution uh, as one word of course, hashtag air quality or hashtag clean air, um, but uh, um, you know it, it is a really important thing that people do look out during these episodes. I'd, I'd really like to see um, warnings um, and advice from the government uh, about the health risks of these episodes uh, with advice for people about reducing pollution and protecting themselves. Now, some of these air, po air pollution episodes that we get during the year um, are caused by particles blowing in uh, very, very occasionally from the Sahara, but more likely from farming emissions in Europe or vehicle emissions in Europe. Um, or building construction. Or, or building construction. Um, uh, you know, an odd and even number plate ban on those days yeah, probably wouldn't make any difference to the pollution levels. Uh, but actually, on other days where the problem is really just about very still air over London, where we're really just stewing, stewing in our own juice or our own you know, fumes. Toxic on gases. On, on toxic gases on those days, to really have an odd and even number plate ban would be a good idea to reduce those vehicle emissions which we're creating and then we're of course breathing immediately. Uh, I'm going to say thank you to you in a moment for, for all, bringing us your expertise. Um, just a final question, how does Brexit impact on this whole issue? How will it impact on the Clean Air Bill, for example? Well, it, um, uh, Clean Air in London has been campaigning for a new Clean Air Act since about 2011. Um, uh, there is no doubt that we have needed it, whether there was going to be Brexit, there wasn't going to be Brexit. Uh, but with Brexit happening, um, it really adds impetus and urgency to the need for a new Clean Air Act. And that's why I was really very excited to see the four select committees saying on the 15th of March um, 2018 that they wanted um, uh, clean air to be enshrined as a right in UK law, which is exactly the 
what you and I are talking about. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'd also like to, to thank you because um, the, the Greens, you and Darren Johnson, were the first um, uh, political party, political grouping, first individuals to support Clean Air London when I set it up and founded it in 2006. So it's been a great um, um, uh, uh, period working. of change. Yep. It's been a real pleasure working together. Uh, and you and I may have different views on Brexit, but actually the, the, what this sort of clean air work shows is that it really is important that everyone works together to make sure this happens. Uh, and we really need, need, do need to get this into force later this year um, so that it's there when we leave Europe next year. Um, people must say to you, um, oh, it's not that big a problem, we don't really need the act. What do you say to them when they suggest that everything's going you know, too fast for them and, and it, it's not really that big a problem anyway? Well, m most people who sort of don't want action on air pollution um, say that, yes, we need clean air. So they always say we need clean air because people find it a bit difficult to argue that they don't want clean air. Uh, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, then you get people typically who say, oh, well, you know, we shouldn't be putting you know, rules and regulations on people, you know, people who favour what I would call free market anarchy. They want no rules and regulations. So they just say, well, look, you know, we'll deal with it through technology over the long term or we'll tell people about it and, you know, hopefully they'll get it right in due course and stuff. Um, so the, the first thing is that people sort of say that um, they don't, well, that they don't like, don't see the need for rules and regulations. Uh, what and do you say back to them? Well, that approach just doesn't work. I mean, that leads to chaos in cities. It le leads to children growing up with reduced lung function. Uh, it, it results in cognitive effects, heart attacks and strokes. You know, there is a public health crisis here, uh, and you cannot just leave it to sort of laissez-faire type, type measures. We need action, and, and even when you've got laws in place, um, the government has failed to comply with those, which is what we've seen with these three Client Earth cases. So I know, and we're very grateful to Client Earth for, for their work. That's, yeah. That was incredible. Uh, one thing that uh, we Greens have done uh, f from quite early on, for at least the last decade, we don't talk about air quality because there's all these air quality um, yeah. ideas and, and you know reports and things like that. We always talk about air pollution because we don't have air quality. What we have is air pollution. And I think sometimes reframing the debate just with simple words actually suddenly uh, m it makes it harder for people to argue against the good sense of, of actually acting and bringing in measures that will help. Well, uh, of course that's right. I, I never use the, the words air quality. I always refer to poor air quality. Um. So the beauty about referring to air pollution is it's only two words, not three. <laughs> uh, but you're right, you should never ever refer to air quality because we don't have air quality. So we have to say poor air quality, which is really a bit clumsy. Um, so you're absolutely spot on there. Um, I think the the sort of message that we get back from the people who are campaigning or um, trying to stop a new Clean Air Act or um, um, other action, you know, they're, they're typically saying, yes, they believe in clean air. Um, uh, most people... Um, uh, it would be hard to say, no, we want dirty air. Ex exactly. I'm not quite sure about Donald Trump, but... Um, yeah. uh, but I think um, I don't uh, think anybody's sure of Donald Trump. No, well, that's, uh, but 
so even the, the, the people who are trying to stop the sort of work that, that we're trying to do say, yes, they like clean air, but typically um, what they say is they want no rules and regulations which really would cause chaos, would um, delay action on protecting children and, and vulnerable people. Um, and you also get people who have these sort of nice messages or powerful messages saying, oh, well, you know, the poor will freeze if, if, if they can't, um, uh, you know, burn, you know, um, Or they've got to drive their cars around or, and or, or they can't know, get to work. To, yeah, all the, so very sort of beguiling, very powerful messages. But actually, what I say to them, and I've sat down with mayoral candidates, for example, where they've said, well, you know, um, this is really very difficult and very unfair and things. And I say, we have to sit back. We have to imagine being in London or in the UK in 1954, 1955, 1956, when people were saying the poor will freeze if we ban wood burning in smoke control areas and things like that. Uh, we have to imagine sitting back there and taking the bold step that, that the UK took at that time to actually just get on and do this. Um, and guess what? No one will have um, frozen or starved or, or whatever during that time from that legislation. It was brought in cleverly over a period of time or implemented over a period of time. Uh, and of course it transformed the city and did a great deal to help a great many people. I'm going to use those arguments in the House of Lords. So I shall come to you for, for even more arguments. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you. Very, my pleasure. very good to have you. Thank you, Thank Jenny. You. And if anybody would like to follow me on Twitter, they can find me on at Green Jenny Jones. Um, I often say controversial things or even sometimes not very smart things. And so I do get a lot of feedback on that. Uh, but it would be great to have you follow me and perhaps give me information as well. Thank you. Thank you.